Hello and welcome to Insurance Tomorrow, a podcast brought to you by me, Nick Hewer, and Allianz. In this series, we examine global trends that will affect and shape businesses in the next few decades. We'll look at the risks, but also analyse the opportunities that could be available for businesses and discuss what all this means for the insurance industry. We've already covered topics such as AI, autonomous vehicles, Brexit and geopolitics. And if you miss them, you can download the episodes by subscribing now on your podcast app. Today, though, we're talking about the changing nature of customer expectations. Customers traditionally want friendly, efficient and reliable service, but new technology has brought with it big changes to the way we interact with brands. Social media, smartphones and 24-hour shopping means that consumers' relationship with a company looks very different to even just a few years ago. So, is the insurance industry embracing these changes and what do companies need to do to future-proof their customer services? Now, with me today, we've got Graham Gibson, the Chief Claims Officer for Allianz and the Chairman of Thatcham Research. He's joined by Heather Smith, the Managing Director of LV Direct Business, and finally Philip Graves, a consumer psychologist and associate at Frontier Economics and author of Consumerology. So, Philip, is consumer expectation changing and why? Uh, I think the answer to that is yes and no in a strange way. So, yes, absolutely it's changing, but fundamentally... Um, what's driving the way that consumers behave is not changing because it's a consequence of evolution. And moreover, it's an unconscious facet of being a consumer. So consumers aren't necessarily aware of how it's changing. So what's changing is the context in which people exist as consumers. So what they want is what they always want at an evolutionary level, which is something that's easy and rewarding and feels as safe as possible, minimising their risk of what might happen in the future. Um, and so they become, if you like, implicitly educated by uh, people like Amazon, people like Google, those companies who work out how to deliver things to us in a much quicker way, with much less friction, where we have to think far less about purchases we're making and that sets the tone when we're dealing with someone else again without us really realizing so we just become more frustrated more quickly if things don't happen at the pace we've become used to if that amazon parcel doesn't arrive within 20 minutes you get all sort of upset with them let's turn to the insurance industry then graham and heather consumer engagement and expectation changing particularly in the in the claims process graham so interestingly, I completely agree with Philip. Um, the first piece of really detailed consumer research that I saw was in 1991, and I am aging myself a bit there. Mm. It showed five things very clearly. It showed that when the customer reports a claim, they want to do that quickly and they want an answer quickly. They then accept that some things happen in the middle, so you have to maybe instruct a builder, do some form of assessment. But then when you agree what's going to happen, then you expect it to happen very quickly, especially if it was a cash payment. Two other things then play into that. The customer wants to speak to someone who has expertise and they want things dealt with quickly. So nothing has fundamentally changed apart from the speed. So what was acceptable, you would send out a claim form, the customer would get two estimates, they'd send it back in, you'd look at it. That's what happened in the 90s. Today, it's about can you do it immediately, 
on a digital uh, platform, hopefully, and use technology to speed up the process. So the expertise is still something that the customer expects, but the demand around speed has changed significantly over the last 20 years. And Heather, of course, you know, dealing with the consumers your company does, you'd reinforce really what Graham's saying. That's right. I mean, actually, what they both said is true. Consumers now see that in all parts of their life, they can um, speak, not type. They can flick images to get decisions made. They can um, allow you to use your data so that everything can be faster and more personalised. And so their their expectations are shaped by how um, humans and technology together deliver them a better outcome. And that's what we're seeing, you know, whether it's um, pushing us an image of their crash car the same day or, or we've already got a picture of their engagement ring, so we understand replacement straight away. All of those things now are so much faster because of the ability of technology and data together. Yeah, because we're not talking about, you know, an egg cup arriving on an Amazon truck, are we? We're talking about big numbers. That's the point. So all of you, how hard is it for the insurance industry to manage this change that technology has brought? We love it. And yet sometimes it brings horrible problems for you guys. The expectations of our consumers and our customers now demand that we can operate in the digital world. So up until now, that's been challenging. But there is so much technology coming into the insurance space now. It's actually about picking the right horse. Now, what I mean by that is that there is a plethora of uh, fintechs and startups some of which will will make it and some of which frankly won't. And it's about understanding which one to to actually pick up on. Now, Heather uh, mentioned an interesting example. So we now have the ability to have a claim reported via an app, download dash cam footage, which is very important in terms of deciding uh, uh, if the customer is at fault for the accident or not, and images which assess the vehicle. So take some pictures of the car. We have kit, we have uh, technology that now tells us whether or not that vehicle is repairable or whether it's a total loss. And that can be done in a matter of minutes. So again, this is driving back to the speed. So the fundamental expertise is still something that the customer demands, but they now demand it with speed. So how will technology shape consumer engagement in the future, do you think? I think we can see the trends happening. So people used to type, now they speak. So it's all about speaking to Siri and speaking to Alexa. And it's so much faster. Google are now ready to take um, to take that as a means of search. So you'll search by your voice alone very soon. We also see that um, virtual assistants are coming in to assist people. So again, it's all about that quick and fast conversation you can have through messaging uh, as a means of getting your decision made. And because there's so much machine learning capability on the data in the background, it can be instantly answering your questions as fast or faster than than any phoning experience can. Mm -hmm. And then you've got um, all of the, I mean, it sounds a bit techy, unfortunately, but you've got APIs, application program interfaces that allow you to connect your organization to anybody relatively seamlessly. And lastly, cloud computing. So that ability to do things at scale so, so fast. And all of that is fundamentally changing 
our ability as insurers to deliver very different services at pace and with far more efficiency than we've ever been able to do before. It used to be legacy IT was the, oh dear, legacy IT was stuck and kind of that's fast disappearing. But the most important bit about that is it allows us to deliver fantastic services to consumers instantly. So they don't have to wait on phones. They they can do it for themselves and self-serve their way a long way through the process. With confidence. We talk about smooth and fast exchanges. So important. That's what the consumer wants. But how can we ensure that at the same time you're providing them with accurate insurance and avoiding fraud? Can speed sometimes lead to an error. Yeah, and of course, consumers don't want speed at any cost. So if things seem too simple, um, that concerns them. So there is a balance between how much effort they have to put into sharing data with you, but this huge data enrichment in the market. Um, when you combine that with, with the computing power of cloud, you can that that whole fraud investigation, the power of big data and the sharing of data has made a massive inroad into um, protecting consumers from this. But Graham is actually an expert on this. So thanks for that, Heather. Yeah, I'm uh, a director of the IFB, which is the Insurance Fraud Bureau. Specific purpose is to try and eliminate fraud in the UK. Our customers tell us that fraud is a really big issue. And if you look at some of the numbers, uh, the average insurance policy has got about £50 per annum in it, which is dedicated to paying fraudulent claims. So it does have an impact on our customers. We do have systems and ways of separating the honest customer from the fraudulent customer and also looking at third-party claims. Now, that might be a topic for another day, but our legal system encourages fraudulent personal injury claims and often these claims are driven by claims management companies. Now, to put a number on that, for Allianz, 7.1% of our claims spend, so 7.1% of the amount of money we spend on claims is fraudulent. And that's quite a significant number. One of the things we've been looking at LV is when claims go wrong or something goes wrong, what can we learn from it to make a change? So there's a methodology called systems thinking born out of manufacturing, which is a great way of essentially following the customers and re-engineering your processes to take the rubbish out of them and getting to first resolution straight away. And that has transformed um, customer expectations, it's transformed um, customer satisfaction because you are doing what's right for the customer, you're following the customer if you like to the path to satisfaction which is low touch and easy. A great little anecdote is we had a customer who um, was housebound who lost their glasses. Now our normal process as you say would have been the customer has to send us evidence um, we, we'll send somebody through, he has to find his prescription, he doesn't know what it was, all of that complexity. With systems thinking intervention, looking at the path to first resolution, I said, you know what, the customer's housebound, he's had a terrible experience, we're going to phone up the optician, get his new glasses made and send them straight to him, job done. And that kind of thing really does matter to customers and you can see that coming through in, in their satisfaction levels. Does brand loyalty exist? LV, well, a great name, been absolutely. going for a thousand years. 175. Thank you. LV is fortunately the UK's most recommended insurance brand as evidenced by YouGov. And that matters because when it comes to selecting brands, they are prepared to pay more for a brand they trust, that they believe has empathy and integrity, that they believe will have their best interests at heart. 
Um, and you can see that very much when they go down aggregator price comparison sites. They're not just looking at price because if they were, they would choose the cheapest one always. And they don't do that. Mm, they absolutely. look at a combination of things, but, including the brand and what it stands for. And also what they hear about other consumers saying things about that brand. Uh, if I look at the commercial world, uh, brand is actually very important. And, and when I say brand, I'm not just talking about, you know, the logo and what people think. Commercial customers look behind the brand and look at how solid an insurance company is, how long they've been there for, how well they're capitalised. Um, and if you look at the Allianz brand, it's very strong in, in that place. So not only in commercial, but in engineering. So we are a huge insurer of lifts and cranes. And in fact, if you look across London, you will see uh, many, many Allianz insureds, uh, including things like the Shard, where we uh, look at their lifts, etc. So the other part of the Allianz book is around PET and PET plan. Now, that is an emotional purchase. There is no doubt about that. We love our pets in the UK. They are a very important part of our family. And if I look at my family, um, I have a, a dog, a Bernese Mountain Dog, which is insured with Pet Plan. And in terms of where I sit with my children, the dog is much higher up the pecking order than I am. So there is this emotional attachment and it does drive brand loyalty. And the other thing I'd add is review sites, Trustpilot, review, all of those things also help shape consumers' expectations. Mm-hmm. And you can't game that. So what consumers say about you on any of these um, trusted reviews, you can't screen them. They have to be true. Um, And that matters as well. So brand is also highly linked to reputation. And your reputation comes from your people and how they service your customers. And all of that knits together to deliver brand. And the broker. Come on, let's talk about the broker. What do the customers expect from their broker these days? So a broker provides expertise, and there's no doubt about that. Um, Again, many commercial organisations are actually quite large and quite complex. So you need professional advice in terms of not only insurance, but how that then links into risk management. Um, So so there is definitely a place for the broker uh, in, in this world. Again, uh, in the the retail space, I can see how aggregators have come in and and there isn't necessarily a need. But we were talking about specialist insurance and classic cars. And again, that's where a broker adds value. So the ability to insure a classic car via a broker and get the right product is very, very important. And I'll absolutely uh, give a round of applause to our broker who fought off a ridiculous uh, quote which we'd had for years, and came in with a really responsible, knowledgeable company that was absolutely perfect for us and saved a fortune, saved a third on the premium. And that's a brilliant example. And that's where a broker really can add value. For sure. They're good at the unusual, the complex, the specialist, um, where you do want to take the time and effort to really get that right. I think that really plays um, to their strength and the reason they're still um, extremely important and viable in the market. Um, And when it's more straightforward, consumers are are happy to do it themselves. So it's both. And I I think fundamentally it comes down to the same basic psychology, which is most human behaviour is predicated on a trade-off between ease and reward. And if uh, it's easier 
uh, and cheaper to get a broker to do something that's relatively complex, then it becomes an easy decision to make. Um, but what I think we will see looking into the future is uh, intermediaries, uh, technology-based intermediaries, come into some of those markets and start to try and pick them off uh, once they've kind of gone as far as they can within the personal insurance lines. And so, uh, you know, within the commercial world, we cover a massive breadth between, uh, you know, the small businesses uh, up to medium enterprises up into the large corporations. Now, at the large corporations, there's the complexity, there is the genuine concern about risk and exposure um, and there is definitely a role for the broker engagement and expertise there. But as you get further down, it becomes, and I know that the, the FCA is looking at it more and more in a similar way, that you know those small businesses are essentially behaving very much like personal insurance companies. And so they become ripe to be the ones who are attracted away from brokers. And I think that the challenge for brokers is to work out where are those areas that they can add the value, where they can genuinely make a difference. It's incumbent on youngsters in a way to get off their backsides and start their own thing. And of course, because of their age, and there isn't a millennial in this particular room, but they're used to dealing with things on their own online. Now, is that a threat then for the brokers? Well, a, a, a threat and in marketing speak, an opportunity. So there's no reason why um, brokers, having identified their niche, can't occupy uh, a footprint online and attract um, a reasonable uh, kind of search engine optimised space for people who are looking for something specific. And I think that's a big opportunity for them. Mm. Heather? Yeah, I think millennials um, and the generations, they expect to do things themselves. So smartphones, voice search is the second thing they do. So they they don't type, they speak. And then they very much um, are looking at peer recommendation. So that matters to them a lot. They're also... um, hugely more motivated by sustainability and um, ethics. So um, because they're very global citizens, millennials, they they really are influenced by that sort of factor. And so um, the the technology and the insure tech startups, they suit them because everything's at the touch on a a smartphone. But equally, they're less experienced in insurance. And so they're still prepared to talk to you when they feel they don't know. If the friends don't know, if if the recommendation sites don't know, they still um, trust um, speaking to the insurer to make sure they're not going to make a mistake on the highly valued um, Apple computer or whatever it is. So I think it comes back to the same thing. People and technology together are the right solution um, to take us forward. So we've got the brokers. How can they interact and persuade and bring in those millennials. So I don't. I don't think it's a technology question per se. It's about showing very clearly that they can offer value uh, to to a millennial who's starting up a business. If you're if you're starting a business, you've got lots and lots of things to worry about. Why would you want to worry about something that isn't in your expertise? If you can effectively outsource it, um, and really that's where I think the brokers need to be looking and thinking about and driving. But how do they market themselves to these millennials? Uh, by a variety. How are they doing it now? So it, it depends on what sector the, the broker is uh, marketing to, but the, there's no doubt that brokers need to be much more in the digital marketing space to a millennial customer. Mm. I think the millennial probably trust his peers, and this is the point that you were making, Heather, more than anybody else. And so really, I guess that a millennial who's bought from a broker 
um, it's up to him to sort of, you know, make sure that millennial spreads the word. Well, the one area they are, they do have a niche in is in telematics. So um, telematics, black boxes or dash um, or um, devices you fit in your car to monitor your driving is is very much still um, in a young person's product. So it helps them bring the premiums down because they can show they're good drivers, safe drivers, um, and their, their behaviours um, monitored. And that's where brokers do have an in, but it tends to be via the parents rather than the millennial. So um, still they are one step removed, if you like, from finding that true means of connection with... Um, with, with, with younger audiences. I think what they have to do is probably partner with some of the insure techs. There are some really smart insure techs out there with some great new propositions very suited to millennials. And brokers would do well to really kind of find a means of partnering, partnering with them because that would kind of bring their relevancy and their kind of engagement levels right up. They need to use their smaller size generally, and I know there are some big brokers out there, um, to be agile. Because when it comes to the future, um, no one can predict what the right avenue is going to be that's going to drive business for them. Is it partnering with fintechs? Is it partnering with um, non-financials? Um, who knows? But the more they can uh, go down those avenues and see what works, the more chance they have of getting a competitive edge. Yeah. But the broker and the millennial or anybody else they deal with, it's a personal relationship. And therefore, there's a, a, a location issue, is there not? Or is it just on the phone? Or does the broker come and see you? It's, it's main, well, it varies massively. So when it comes to um, com- large commercial insurance, of course, it's a very personal relationship. Yeah. Lots of the brokers still are, are serving the general public and they're a combination of high street, um, phone and of course online so most of the um, brokers are on price comparison sites with the insurer sitting underneath them so you might see Swinton or you might yeah. see Budget they're brokers okay. um, but they act as brands and um, that's still a huge means for them and I think there's an important element to keep in mind coming back to the brand loyalty point which is when we start talking about relationships and again I'm thinking about the, the smaller businesses and the, uh, the personal customers um, um, that actually it's not really what people want. They want it done. They want it out of the way. They want it frictionless. They want it easy. And if if organisations set up to think we'll try and build a relationship with you, then essentially you're making it harder, you're making it more involving. And if that if there isn't that desire for engagement running through it, actually you, you're creating barriers to someone using you again rather than enhancing that relationship. So it's important to understand the different types of customers you have at a behavioural level and make sure that the service that you're offering them is the one that fits what that implies about what their needs really are. And I think you're right. I think time and effort, which is the thing they say to us and... and that is really important. What they do value and does help in that whole um, area of relationship, however you determine it, is where you can be helpful and useful to the consumer. So little hints and tips and things that make their life better and easier are, are, are hugely valued by them. So if you have a conservatory and it snows, knock the, knock the snow off it. You know, because you don't want the weight of it bringing it through the maintenance of your fence. The um, the fact that um, you have your if you've got a student in your house and they're off to university, your contents will cover them at university. All those little things, the more personalised you can be, the more helpful you can be, the better. It's about helping our customers. And again, with the technology that's 
that's available uh, around things like geospatial and weather patterns, we can predict really accurately now where there's going to be a flood or where there's going to be a storm, and we can give our customers pre-claim advice, so help them to avoid a claim, uh, which is is something that the industry is now really latching onto. And, and the other thing is turning it from claim into service, so not just a one-touch when you have an accident, but what about other occasions where you might need uh, a plumber for a completely unrelated uh, uh, service? Why wouldn't insurers who have already checked plumbers and builders and all these other good things offer that to our customers as a service? And finally, to all of you, who's in the driving seat these days? The customer or the company? And will it change? Is it changing? What do you think? I don't think it's ever been anybody other than the customer. So if you follow the customer and you do what's right for them, you're on a pretty safe basis. Um, And their expectations, the ability to share experiences, the transparency you have to deal with, all of that is hugely influential. One of the advantages of working for a global organisation like Allianz is you get to see other markets. And without a doubt, the UK market is the most competitive market in the world. So it's actually quite easy to move insurers. So it's really simple for me. If we don't do the right thing by our customers, then they will go somewhere else. And that's not a difficult thing to do in this market. I think the bigger challenge for the insurance industry is some of the fintechs that we've talked about and other organisations that are now collecting data on the customer. So if you look at something like the vehicle manufacturers, a very obvious example, uh, until quite recently, they didn't collect data on the car. If I look at my car now, it's connected to the to the manufacturer via Wi-Fi. They know exactly what I'm doing, when I'm doing it, uh, uh, what I'm doing with the kids and what they look at via their iPads in the car. That's a data collection that will give the vehicle manufacturers insight that we don't have. So I see more the threat from others coming into our market. But I do think culture sits at the heart of um, who's in control. So Consumers are in control. They can vote with their feet. But if a company's ethics and values are right, then that takes you a long way in all the buffeting that may come with markets and regulation and so forth. I think if at the core you've got those things right, it takes you a long way in protecting yourself. Thank you for that. Now, that brings this episode to an end. Thank you to Graham Gibson, the Chief Claims Officer for Allianz and Chairman of Thatcham Research. He was joined by Heather Smith, the Managing Director of LV Direct Business, and Philip Graves, a consumer psychologist and associate at Frontier Economics and author of Consumerology. Please do subscribe to the podcast through your podcast app. That way, you'll be sure of never missing an episode. And we'd really appreciate you leaving us a review, too. We'll be back to explore another major global trend in the next episode of Insurance Tomorrow. In the meantime, from me, Nick Hewer, it's goodbye.